Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Tell us about the book, Living the Paradox of Enlightenment. You know, in around 2005, I started to go to a teacher in Santa Barbara. It was a small group that met every week. And when I first went, it wasn't like, wow, this is incredible. It was just like, huh, this is interesting. I think I'll go some more. And I just kept going and going. And then pretty soon I said, you know, I'm always going to go. I'm going to go every week. I went for 11 years. And during that time, I developed more and more essays. I just started writing more and more essays for my website. I actually started writing essays for my website in like mm, 20 years ago. But now they kicked up to a new level. And um, so these essays got integrated into the book and refined. And so um, that's how the book came about. And there's lots of things to talk about with you tonight, Thomas, about enlightenment and spiritual awakening. And I want your take on how you think the world is headed today, because there's something missing. I just can't put my finger on it, but people seem to be upset, uptight. It it's just has a different feel to it. Are you picking that up, too? Oh, I think so. I'm not as connected to the main public like you might be, but I still think I pick it up more like an intuitive or a psychic way, you know? And there's an anxiousness, um, you know, which is a low-level type of fear. It's anxiety when you can't see the lion that's chasing you. You think there's a problem, but you don't really know what it is and what to do about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's absolutely so true. What I would like to point out is it could be like a chick inside an egg, you know, and you're, the food is there and you're absorbing the food and you know there's getting less and less food and you're getting a little bit anxious because it looks like you're going to run out of food and oh my gosh, that's going to be the end of you. But you don't realize the changes that are taking place within you and you're getting a bigger body and a stronger body and now you're going to break out of that eggshell and you're going to be into a whole new world full of other little chicks and sunshine and things. So there's no real way of saying what's going to come. Now, the word enlightenment, what does that mean to you? You know, I have a definition that I use, and uh, many people mm, would point out that there is no strict definition, but this is the definition that I use. And we're going to start, I have two points that make this up, and we're going to start with the second point because it's a little bit easier for us to get our handle on that. Okay. Um, being completely free from all selfish or self-centered desires and tendencies. So with that, I'm just basically saying being a good person, being a kind person, being a compassionate person. So there's no real, oh, wow, that's profound. I mean, no, I've never heard that before. And that isn't going to happen when I say that. But it's really interesting that some people have definitions of enlightenment that leave that out completely. And it just doesn't make any sense to me to have someone be considered enlightened when they're not a good person, a kind person. So that's an important point. And then the first point um, goes to a deeper truth that might be a little hard to get to right here at the beginning of the interview without laying some foundation, but I'll put it on the table anyway. It's being fully awake to the intuitive understanding of your true self as the one divine source awareness, the one self that arises as all apparent selves. Now that is probably a very mysterious statement, so we might have to dig into that as the night goes on. Are you finding that people are trying to become a little more enlightened? Oh, yes. 
Yes, definitely. They sometimes um, have an urgency about it, which, you know, you can't go about this and be urgent about it. You have to relax into it and let it grow naturally. But it can really help if you have a little bit of guidance. And like I said, I started to go to my mentor in 2005, and I just continued to go to those meetings. And it was so interesting to see him be an example and his relaxed nature, and he's at peace, and he's available for kindness and compassion. And so that was inspiring to me. But he was also very helpful in understanding some of these deeper truths about who you really are. Who are we anyways, Thomas? That's <laughs> well, you the know, big this question. Just to uh, one of the points that uh, you bring up on the show many times, and that has to do with this, uh, this saying that you've heard. Um, it goes something like this. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience, but instead you are a spiritual being having a human experience. You've heard that before, of I course. I sure have. Yeah, and this is what I consider the first key spiritual awakening. And to rephrase it, you have a soul. So before that, you might think, I'm just a body. I'm cruising around. Something happens to the body. I die. You know, that's the end of me. Boom. That's the end of you. That's your definition of who you are, the body. That's a materialist definition of who you are. Well, people like yourself, George, I heard you talking the other night about your own out-of-body experience. 11 years old. I haven't been able to duplicate it, but I sure had one. How old was it? 11. 11. Okay. So the fact that you had it shows you without a doubt that this materialist definition of who you are is at least incomplete. You know, there's mm-hmm. more, more to you than that. And so I read lots of books about out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences and, and conscious memory of past lives. And through this, I gained both an intellectual understanding to some extent, and I realized that that's a limited understanding because it's only intellectual, but I also had an intuitive understanding and then there's the experiential understanding that you were able to tap into that I have not yet tapped into that. But all of that points to this truth, this key spiritual understanding that you have a soul. Now, the soul is involved in the creation of the body. And throughout its entire life, the body and the soul are interacting, you know, tied together. And then at the very end of physical life, the soul drops off. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the soul drops the body, and the body just, that's the end of that. So And, that, and does it the, all over again and again. Yes, yeah, and that shows us that the body is not essential to the soul. And then when this awareness, this awakening happens, a lot of people think that this is who they are, that they must fundamentally be a soul. And what I'm suggesting is that we're now going to dig even deeper than that. We're going to step back from the soul. And at that point, the mystic finds out that they exist fundamentally as the power of sentience. They exist as this open capacity for experience. And if I may put this in another set of words, you know you exist, and you know you are sentient, And what I'm saying is that you exist fundamentally as this power of sentience. When you strip away everything that's not essential to what you are, you end up with this power of sentience, which is not a thing. You are not a thing that is sentient. You are not an object that is aware. You are not a sentient being. You are sentience itself. 
And this is the second key awakening. When you were teaching your class at the Center for Lifelong Learning, what did these students want to learn? What were they there for? I, I would say that they really wanted to relieve their suffering. So they wanted to find out why things that they didn't want, difficult challenges kept arising for them. And it's kind of, um, you want to both have relief to that, and if you can, prevent these things from arising in the first place. Learning how to work with them and be a little bit more emotionally accepting of your challenges, and then maybe changing some of your core beliefs in a way where these challenges may not arise so sharply. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, but when they leave the class, how do they leave it? Are they upbeat? Are they puzzled? How How do they leave it? Um, well, I would say that I didn't have a lot of students on a regular basis, so we were able to deal kind of one-on-one as a, you know, small class allows. So they were able to kind of tune into what I was saying and open up to it. I'll put it this way. That class was a couple weeks long. I forget how long it was. Yeah. But um, even when I heard these ideas, I had to go and think about them for months. And some of them I had felt been dealing with for years. So this has matured in me for a long period of time. So I hope some of that experience that I've gone through will help me put it on the table a little clearer so people can get to the core of what it might be that they might utilize more successfully. Thomas, can you teach kindness or is that within you? You know, it really does come from within. That's what but I- sometimes you can inspire it either by example. It's hard to teach kindness in words in front of a chalkboard, but sometimes I can put something on the table where someone will go, oh, I can see where this other person that I'm having conflict with is actually, they also are this manifestation of this divine essence. They themselves are thoroughly divine, and I'm going to respect them for that, even though we've been clashing horns. So maybe there's a little lessening of that tension. What would happen if a nation practiced this as we would as individuals, and instead of being an aggressor or attacking other nations or warring countries, became a nation of kindness and helped other countries out of whatever dilemmas they might have had, whether it's food shortages or whatever, but became a country of being benevolent and kind? What what do you think would happen? Well, it would be a world transformation if both the leaders and the citizens of that country were joyfully participating in that. And you'll know that that, and I like the fact that you put that on such a large scale. And I was talking to a friend of mine from high school who I hadn't seen in many, many years. I talked to him recently at a wedding, and he said he was working with um, people that were having trouble just making a living and stuff like that. And you know, they were trying to help them in these ways. And the point that it's so difficult to make people realize is that you need to change your core beliefs. We're so focused on action. We're going to change our actions. Well, the actions and the core beliefs and the emotions are the three components of conscious creation. And if you don't change the seed, the core seed, the world is a safe place. 
how could you believe that as a core belief? That's so profoundly different from the idea the world is a dangerous place and I need protection. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You wrote an essay about Tookie Williams. Would that be the gangster from L.A. by any chance? Yes, yes, it is. And um, Stanley heard, Stanley Tookie Williams, right? Stanley Tookie Williams. He was 12 years old when he got involved in the Crips. In fact, he was one of the founding members. He got that executed was, eventually, didn't he? In 2000... Lethal Injection, I think. I think it was 2005, the same year that... While they still had the death penalty. Exactly. And yeah. he was... Um, writing these short little children's books. He had a co-author, and he wrote many of them, and they were inspiring children. He was showing them the false promise of gang life. And lots of children were sending him letters telling him that he was the reason that they stayed out of gangs. And I would have thought the state of California would put him on the lecture tour. You know, if he well, they executed him instead, right? Executed him instead, and when that happened, I was crushed. I was just, and I didn't expect to have such a strong emotional reaction. But I had gone to sleep that night, and I knew that the execution was scheduled for midnight. And I had gone to sleep at around eleven, and I woke up around a couple minutes before one. And I knew if I pushed that button on my clock radio, there would be the news coming up at the top of the hour. And sure enough, they said he was executed, and I just, I just broke down crying. They well, so he, he was convicted of murder, right? Four counts, um, he, I think, something he, like that. Yeah, I, I don't know how many counts it was, and he did say he was framed. But I'll tell you one thing: as the head of that gang, there was plenty of, um, shall we say, dark deeds done over many decades. Absolutely. So, you know, the Crips, um, right? Yeah, the Crips. One of the Crips and the Bloods were two of the main LA gangs. So, wow. so anyway, the the fact that he was taken away from his family. No, he was in prison. I mean, there was a petition to prevent the execution. It wasn't a petition to release him, but that petition was not honored, and he was executed. And I was just crushed. But when I was crushed, as I felt that tremendous sadness within me, I said, I, I stepped back from it a little bit. And I said, I'm going to pull this sadness right into me. And I'm going to find out what it really is. Because you could have someone tell you about their sadness, or you could try to tell someone about yours. But when it's right there, Right there, full emotion, full strength, that's the time to really learn what it is. So as I pulled it in, it just dissolved. My body was still crying, but it just dissolved. And so what I realized is that I could sit in that place of a little more comfort, uh, stepping back from that, a place of what I call divine bliss, where I accept the fact that my body is crying and I'm experiencing this very sharp emotional sadness. And I make an analogy of being like a mother holding her crying child. And you can be like both of them, and she can be in bliss while she holds her child because she loves her child so much she would never reject her child even though her child at that time is crying. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.